Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Let me apologize in advance because I have this persistent cough that I've had for a couple of weeks, so uh, I will try to keep the mic off when I cough and try to cough in a hand I don't shake people's hands with. If I messed that up already, forgive me. I'm sorry for whoever I shook hands with this morning. But uh, let me, quick question, let me ask you one. Has anyone ever been to a work conference? How many people are in like a technical field where you got to go and get training? Uh, Great. I went to a conference this week, and um, not this week, two weeks ago. Some of those are fun, depending on what your job is. Some of them are pretty boring, depending on what your job is. Uh, If a coworker does something stupid, that's always fun. Um, Not from a Christian standpoint, but just in general. Um, But I went, and here's, let me share a little bit of, because when you go from a, you know, a pastoral or or one of those type of conferences, a little bit different. Uh, So I went, and it was, uh, I think, 50 or so different men of various ages, various races, various uh, denominations like Lutherans, non-denominational, Baptists, uh, Presbyterians, um, United Methodists, just all ages, everything in a room, just trying to get better at understanding the Word of God so that we could be better at teaching the Word of God. Uh, and it was, it was an awesome time, but uh, there was also this portion of it that was small group interaction, where um, anyone ever been to a small group Bible study type thing? Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't just someone saying, you know, here's this, here's that. It was each of us taking turns and sharing Uh, And someone saying that's great because here's what happens when you go to a conference, they usually show you here's how you do A, here's how you do B, here's how you do C, right? And then they say, now go back to your job and do it. And you get back to your desk and you try to do it and you're like, wow, I must have missed something or or either you nailed it or or you're off a little bit. Uh, But in the small group interaction, it was like instead of going back to your desk or your pulpit and doing it, it was let's try it in this setting. And there's an experienced guy there who's saying, you got it right, but now tweak it a little bit this way and that way. Uh, So that was an awesome aspect of it. Uh, But the most awesome aspect of it was that we were immersed in, like, the Bible from the time we walked in, you know, after coffee, of course, at like 8.30 in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon, everything that we did, just digging in deeper and deeper and deeper into the Word of God. And the book that we happened to be in, I couldn't have planned this any better, uh, that we were walking through was the book of Isaiah. How many people have ever read the book of Isaiah? Yeah, it's, it's, it can be a little bit confusing or whatever, uh, but I spent, uh, because of that immersion part, I spent more time in the book of Isaiah during that three-day conference than I have the last, like, 15 years as a Christian. Just digging in from morning until afternoon into the word of Isaiah, which just happened to be, I couldn't have planned this any better, what I wanted to speak on this morning. So they were just, like, you know, setting me up for hopefully what will be a good uh, message for you guys. Now, for those of you who have not read through the book of Isaiah, or even for those of you who've had, uh, it can be a little bit complex, all right? It's, it's broken down into three uh, different types of communications Isaiah uses to communicate it with us. One of it is through prose, which is that poetic style where if you read through it, all the words seem to be broken up, and it seems like he's talking about crazy stuff, and he's using lots of poetic imagery and all that stuff. Uh, part of it is also a narrative 
where Isaiah is basically saying, here is what happened, all right? As I was standing here, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. This king went and talked to this king. Here's what happened. And some of it, which makes it even more confusing, is a little bit futuristic. Because from Isaiah, in his time, like 750 to 700 B.C., he's prophesying about things that don't happen for two or 300 years. And some of them with so much detail that even Christians who studied this said, well, this can't be true. Because there's no way he could have had such specificity in his things that he was writing about. But obviously, if it's the word of God, then, yeah, it is true. Now, not, not to make this into a, a class on Isaiah, but uh, really quickly, it's got three major themes in the book of Isaiah. Three major themes that Isaiah is kind of pushing out to the people. And the first is that God is king. And, and that's from verse 1. Uh, this is what he's proclaiming. This is what Isaiah writes. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is the NIV version. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So Isaiah starts his ministry by saying, hey, Israel, thus saith the Lord, you guys are rebelling against God. And then he goes on and he says this, the ox knows its master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, Children given to corruption, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Now, if someone comes up to you on the street and starts calling you a sinner, an evildoer, they call you corrupt, they say you've forsaken God, the first thing that doesn't come into your mind is, hey, what church do you go to? Because I want to go there. And so he's like insulting the people of God, and saying, you guys are sinners, you're evildoers, you're corrupt, but this is what God is saying. Hey, I'm the king. I've created you. You're my children, but you're rejecting me. You're disobeying me. You're forsaking me. You're not getting any of the stuff that I'm trying to get across to you. But then the second theme, now this is, this kind of goes on for the first, I think it's like 30 some odd chapters where it's emphasizing that God is the king and that humanity and Israel have just rejected God and we've missed it. But then the second part, he starts talking about a servant. Isaiah starts emphasizing the fact that, uh, I think it's chapters like 40 to 55, that there is a servant who God's going to raise up, who's going to make things right between humanity and God. So Isaiah keeps telling him, hey, you guys, you've messed it up. You're, you, you've made all these mistakes. And just like all of us, we don't want to hear that. Just like when we tell our children, they don't want to hear that. Just like when our parents told us, we didn't want to hear that. But then he says, hey, but listen, God's going to raise up a servant, someone who serves him, and he's going to make things right. And then he goes on, and the last part is about this conqueror who's going to provide redemption for all of Israel and all of humanity. Now, 
If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. We're kind of going to jump into the servant portion of this because that's, that's the key element. That's, that's the key passage where um, Isaiah says, hey, you guys need to get, get it right and understand that there is a servant who's going to make things right between humanity and God. So in Isaiah chapter 52, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat, left, right, somewhere on you. Isaiah chapter 52, this is what Isaiah says. In verse 13, see, my servant, he's speaking on behalf of God, will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations. Now that idea of sprinkling many nations is kind of wordplay that, uh, that, that we're not used to. Right? Someone comes up and tries to sprinkle something on you. You're thinking I need to call the CDC or what's going on. But the idea is when the priest would go into the temple in order to cleanse the people once he made a, a, a guilt offering for all their sins. He would sprinkle blood on the people. And the idea is that this servant is going to sprinkle not just the people, but the nations, plural. All of the nations are going to be made right, redeemed through what this servant does. And he says, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Now, and basically what he's saying is, hey, there are going to be kings and rulers who aren't going to understand what this servant does. Because if you're a king or a ruler or a president or a congressman or whatever, uh, your natural inclination is I need power in order to make things right. I mean, that's why we have all these crazy, I was going to say crazy people, but crazy elections with people running. Uh, because they, they want to be in power, and they think, hey, if I get in power, I can put this in the place, and they'll tell you, here's my plan for this. Here's my plan for that. Here's my plan for this. Here's how I am going to make things right once I get into power. But this servant isn't going to use power to make things right between us and God. He's going to do something else. He's going to have to suffer a little bit. Now, there's a DVD that I want to show you that's going to kind of explain this in a little bit more detail about how this servant is going to come in and going to make things right between us and God. Now, that may be a startling contrast from what Isaiah said, but it's what Isaiah is capturing in his entire book, that even though there's this, this, this part of God that says, hey, you, my children, humanity, you're separated from me, you've sinned against me, you're rejecting me. There is this bigger part of God that says, I love you with a never-ending love. But because God is just, he's got to do something to say, well, how can I bring you back into relationship with me? And, and what we just heard and what Isaiah tells us is there is a cost, a sacrifice, a cost in order for that to happen. So, um, Go back to the book of Isaiah, and let's look at what he writes in the next chapter, starting in chapter 53. He says, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And this is where it gets intense. It says he, meaning this servant, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He says, surely he, this servant, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he, this servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So even over and over, he's saying he was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. And all of these imageries is basically he's saying the same thing that God said. Hey, we've sinned, but this servant paid the penalty for all of our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities, our wrongdoings. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a slam to the slaughter, and as the sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants, meaning he was basically killed, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. Now that's a, a, a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of imagery that doesn't make sense to me because I'm not a sheep herder, have no idea. I know you eat them, I know you wear them, so a, a lot of that imagery may not make sense. But uh, Isaiah makes a couple of things clear. He says this servant was despised because of us. He was pierced because of us. He was crushed because of us. And he bore our sins. So this servant paid that cost that we couldn't pay. And Isaiah goes on and he says to the people of Israel uh, throughout that whole theme where he's talking about the servant is this servant is going to pay a price, a huge price, a cost, like, like we saw in the video, a great cost to bring us back into a loving relationship with God. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going we're to spend a, just a few more minutes praising God through song before we close out. But there's a, a, a song, and we sang it last week, and whenever there's a song and it's fast-paced, kind of throws some people because you're not really paying attention to the words. So I want to walk you through the words of this song uh, that you are about to sing because you may not hear it over the electric guitar. But uh, this, is, this is a David Crowder song. It's a Christian song. And this is how it goes. It goes, lift your head, weary sinner. The river's just ahead. Down the path of forgiveness. Salvation's waiting there. So basically, he's, he's, he's saying the same thing. He's, he's calling out to everyone who is separated from God. And he says, there's a path that leads to forgiveness. He says, you build a mighty fortress, 10,000 burdens high. Love is here to lift you up. Here to lift you high. And then he says, all who strayed and walked away, unspeakable things you've done. Fix your eyes on the mountain. Let the past be dead and gone. And I can't speak for anyone else in this room, but I can speak for me personally. 
and uh, Christy can probably attest to this, that I screw stuff up royally a lot, more often than, you know, a pastor should. But I thank God that even when I screw things up, it, it, it's, he's not just saying, hey, if you're a, 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 you've never met God, come into a relationship with him. But for those people who said, well, you know what, I've screwed things up too much to try to go back to God. He's saying, you too, let the past be dead and gone. And then he's, he's this great verse, come all saints and sinners. You can't outrun God. Whatever you've done can't overcome the power of the blood. And he's saying there is absolutely, positively, nothing that we have done, no action, no words we've spoken. Think of the worst, most horrific thing that could ever have happened. And God looks at that person and says, hey, there's a cost. And, and there's physical consequences that you may have to pay. But the cost to bring you back into relationship with me has been paid by this servant. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to jump into a, a really upbeat song. So switch your gears uh, for a moment if you can. Okay, don't sit down yet. And I heard some amens, but I know that was a little bit too far this for some people. So uh, now we're going to go back to an old school hymn thing. So, so we got something for everybody. But here's the thing. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not take the opportunity to say if you're here, and whether it be you're the person who never knew God, never entered into a relationship with him, or maybe you're the person who knew him and walked away, if I didn't say, uh, now is the opportunity for you. So I'm going to ask you guys to just bow your heads. And if you're here, there's, there's no special magic to it. There's no special words you have to say. There's nothing special that you need to do because what we're saying is all the work has been done. But if you're here and you're ready to either go back to him or enter into a relationship with him, it's just a matter of you acknowledging in your heart that all of the work, the price has been paid. All you have to do is just accept it and let God in. God, and we pray that if there's anyone here, even, even those of us who say, yeah, we've been Christians for years, but maybe we've turned away from you or made mistakes that we felt were so bad that we couldn't enter back into that relationship with you. We pray that you would speak to those hearts right now and those hearts would open up, acknowledge what you've done through your servant, and let us in. Amen. As we close out, let me share this last passage of scripture with you. In the last couple of verses that we're reading this morning, this is what Isaiah writes, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. 
for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So here, Isaiah finishes this particular passage of scripture and he's saying that the servant paid this price, this huge price that we've been talking about and that it was God's will. It was because God ordained it. It was because God wanted it in order to make things right between humanity and us and there are so many people within the church, theologians, pastors, professors, colleges, that all have this different understanding of who is the servant. Now, spoiler alert, we just sang about it. Jesus is the servant. And, and how do we know this? It's not like I'm just making it up because some people do have a very valid claim of saying, we don't know exactly who it is because Isaiah never uses the name Jesus. 200 years into the future, Isaiah uses the name Cyrus of a king who's going to come and God's going to use and work through him. So we know Isaiah gets this information from God, but he never uses the name Jesus. Now, let me switch gears for just a second. How many people have seen the movie Batman versus Superman? How many people are planning on seeing the movie? <laughs> okay. All right. So here, here's the thing. If you've ever seen one of these movies, and for those of you who aren't into this, just bear with me. And some of you were like, we knew this was coming. But bear with me. Uh, if you've ever, like, been waiting for a movie to come out, and it's been, like, I think two years for this movie, so everyone's had ideas on how it was going to end, what was going to happen, who was going to win, all this kind of stuff about this movie. And if, if you're not a comic book fan, you just walked into the movie and said, oh, this was okay. If you're a comic book fan, you've been waiting for two years to see, you know, how they're going to put all these pieces together. And even though you know some parts, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. But the thing is, you kind of already know because they told you it's based on this comic book and this comic book and this comic book. And the ones they based it on are years old, like 10 or 20 years old. So if you really wanted to know, you could go and read and find out, yep, this is exactly how it's going to end. But even though you knew, like I knew, for the last two years, I've been avoiding all the trailers and people posting about what they think is going to happen in the movie because I kind of wanted to see it for myself. And, and this is the same thing because even though Isaiah doesn't give us a name, God does. God tells us who the servant is. In the book of Acts, Luke, who is a researcher, he's a doctor, and he, he, he goes and he researches all of the things about Jesus to see whether or not they're true. And this is what he tells us in the book of Acts. In chapter 8, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was one of the deacons in, in the early Testament church, he said, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So this is a guy who, who wasn't um, a, a native Jewish person. He wasn't an Israelite, but he knew of God. He wanted to know more about God, so he went to Jerusalem to worship God. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, it's likely the reason he was in that book is because that's what was taught either in the synagogue or wherever he went to worship to God. That's the scroll, the book that they opened to. So the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And here's the key thing. 
do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this makes sense because you don't have to raise your hand, but be honest. How many people have read things in the Bible and you're like, what in the ham sandwich just happened? Like, what are they talking about? I don't know how to share a sheep. I don't know this. I don't know that. Or they're using imagery or poetry or songs or something. And you're like, I just, this makes no sense to me. Or they're naming people who have more syllables in their name than there are letters in the alphabet. And you're like, I, what is this supposed to mean? And this, this guy's perfectly honest. He says, I don't understand this. This makes absolutely positively no sense to me. Now, this is this, verse 32, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the sh its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, how many people know what passage of Scripture that is? Hopefully everyone, because that's the one we just read in Isaiah. That same passage of scripture, he said, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't get it. And then he asked this question. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Same question that lots of, is it, is it Israel that he's talking about? Is the prophet saying, I, Isaiah, am the servant? Uh, and if you look through a lot of the passages in scripture, Isaiah does say, you, Israel, servant of God, you are my servant. God consistently calls them his servant. But then, this is what we read in Acts. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus is the servant. Jesus is the one who, who paid the penalty for our sins. Now, as a parent, there are times there I wish that I could like snap my fingers and have my children like obey and do exactly what I want, go to the school I want, get the job I want, uh, do everything the way that I want, and I'm probably the only one who thinks like that. But, yeah, I mean, we don't have that capability. As a parent, sometimes when my kids get a little far off and they do things wrong, I wish I could step in and I wish, you know what, I wish I could take this burden for you. I wish I could take this struggle for you. I wish I could take this off of your hands and put it on me, but I can't. There's no way to make that happen. But God does. And through Jesus Christ, his servant, everything that separates us from God, everything we've done wrong, everything we've ever messed up, Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll take the penalty for that. I'll pay the cost for that. Now you just go. And get right with God. In a moment, uh, we're going to partake of communion. But before we do, I, wanna I just want to make sure that we understand that there is absolutely, positively, nothing that we can do wrong or have done wrong that can separate us from the love of God. And if we think, because I've, I've been there where I've screwed something up so bad, I'm like, God will never, no one on the planet, no one in the universe could ever forgive me for saying this to someone or treating someone this way or doing something so wrong. And then I open God's word and I hear Jesus say, I already paid the cost. I already paid the price. 
You just need to run into God's loving arms because he's waiting for you. And there is that little, little inkling, little inkling, little part that says, well, maybe this is the thing where God just washes his hands of me and says, Floyd, I'm done with you. And there is this thing called the resurrection, what we're celebrating today, that proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's not true. The only reason that Jesus rose from the dead is so that we have an eternal evidence, eternal proof. It's for all eternity that God loves us beyond measure and died and rose to show us that. Paul went on to write, and speaking of the act of communion, he said that on the day that Christ was crucified, that he took the bread and he broke it. And he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And that he took the wine that he had and as they dipped the bread in it, he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And whenever you partake of this, do this in remembrance of me. And Paul would then go on and say that whenever you partake of communion, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. And here's, here's, here's the awesome piece, not just proclaiming it then, but until he comes again, you're publicly reminding the world that we serve, we serve a risen God, a risen Lord, who is coming back for us, who we'll get to spend eternity with. So God, as we prepare to partake of communion, we pray that we would reflect on your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, the penalty that you paid for us. And that as we partake, we would, as Paul said, we would proclaim our risen Lord, proclaim his death, his burial, his resurrection, and be reminded that he is coming back for us and that we'll spend eternity together with him. Amen. So as God leads you, Please come and uh, partake of communion. And if you're here and you feel like maybe I'm not ready to do that, I don't know if I'm in the right place to do that, maybe this is a time for you to spend doing some business with God and, and, and just letting God speak to your heart. So as God leads, come and partake of communion. I thank you for loving me. God, we thank you for your amazing love, your goodness, your grace. We thank you for your sacrifice that paid the penalty for our sins. We thank you for your spirit that raised your son Jesus Christ from the dead. And we thank you for this time that we get to spend rejoicing and celebrating in everything that you've done for us. Pray that you would bless us as we go and that as we go, we would be a blessing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.